Hi, I'm Adam, and this is Charlie. Hi. So, in this podcast today, we'll be discussing cancel culture, uh, whether it works, how effective it is, and more specifically, we'll be looking at how it's worked around Tony Abbott, the ex-Australian Prime Minister, who's now working as a trade advisor for the United Kingdom. So, just to explain a little bit more about Tony Abbott, as Adam said, he's a former Prime Minister of of Australia. He served from 2013 to 2015 and before and during his premiership he was leader of the Liberal Party. Recently in September 2020 he was appointed to the UK Board of Trade which assists Liz Truss who is the International Trade Secretary in the negotiation of UK trade deals but Tony Abbott will not be involved in any Brexit negotiations. The reason that some people have taken issue with this is because of some of his comments in the past concerning women, climate change, abortion and gay marriage among other things. So for example in 2010 while he was opposition leader in Australia his party opposed a carbon emissions tax. Uh, In 2017 for climate change he said that it would be doing more good than harm and the increased carbon dioxide levels would mean there was more food for plants. Regarding abortion he tried to block when he was health minister the introduction of an abortion pill for Australia and opposed embryonic stem cell research and in 2013 when he was prime minister his government challenged the Australian Capital Territory Legislative Assembly after they passed a marriage equality act and he took it to the High Court of Australia which eventually led to the act being dismantled. I think it's very important before we move on to the rest of the podcast to define what it is that we're getting out when we sort of talk about cancel culture and our sort of decided opinion on what we think of cancel culture is a large system of people who make an effort to when someone says something which could be seen as you know questionable against a sort of PC narrative to, uh, to go and shut them down, to go and stop them from furthering their career. So I think the further discussion on why Tony Abbott would, you know, the, the implications of what he says and why he would need to be held to account is quite an important discussion. What we see in politics nowadays is, you know, that there's uh, trends that we see as such of a sort of straight white man in politics. So maybe, uh, you know, what he's saying could discourage young women from taking an interest in politics when they're listening to their leaders referring to women as, you know, housewives as a general term. When a young woman would hear Tony Abbott speaking about women in such a sort of low regard. And also, we're in such a day and age, I would say, where climate change is one of the most important issues that we have to tackle. So, you know, how will that sort of impact a young Australian who's listening to their Prime Minister almost belittle the implications of climate change and you know spread what can only be described as fake news around climate change that's coming from your leader so that's you know really the person who you want to be looking at for you know some truth and wisdom and he's spouting lies like that for lack of a better term. So some of the controversy surrounding Tony Abbott is how the government have responded to what he has been saying and his appointment onto the UK Board of Trade. So, for example, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that his original election as Prime Minister by the people of Australia speaks for itself, though he admitted that his opinion was not shared by everyone that was in government at the time. Also, notoriously, Health Secretary Matt Hancock uh, attracted controversy when he remarked that Abbott was also an expert on trade, 
which essentially implied that he agreed that um, Tony Abbott's comments were derogatory and controversial. Then on the other side of the House of Commons, Labour leader Keir Starmer uh, said that he had real concerns about Abbott being put onto the Board of Trade and that if, if he was Prime Minister, then he wouldn't have appointed him to the role in the first place. And then someone closer to Abbott, Christine Forster, who's Tony Abbott's sister, defended him as a man of great conviction and intellect, with great compassion, respect for others, and an indelible sense of doing what is right. So thinking about the government response to this, it's difficult because obviously from his track record of negotiating trade deals with various countries as Prime Minister of Australia, he knows what he's talking about. So it's difficult because some say they want to ignore his views, but some say they accept them, but he's also good at his job. I think uh, when you look at the contrast between the statement which Boris Johnson gave with regard to him and his uh, prior things that he said... Uh, before he was Prime Minister, uh, leader of the opposition and as Prime Minister. I think uh, Boris Johnson almost overruled it and almost sort of shoved it to one side or so it felt to me, whereas I feel like exactly right. Um, In Matt Hancock's interview with Kay Burley, he did absolutely accept it and then palmed it off and said, well, you know, yes, he may have those views, but ultimately, we're not hiring him to be a misogynist. We're hiring him to be a trade advisor. You know, I think you sort of look at it on a spectrum of Boris over to Starmer with Hancock sort of sat in the middle, where you would then look at uh, Starmer, who's gone the complete opposite way of uh, Boris and say, no, I wouldn't appoint him full stop because you don't... It in sort of felt to me as if he was saying, you know, in this sort of modern world, you do not need to be sort of hearing the views of these people, you know, but when they do come out with such sort of horrid comments as that in which you've made towards, you know, women, for example, which I probably out a lot of them, I think they're all bad, but I think you really sort of need to start to look into maybe which is the most appropriate view to take. For myself personally, I would sort of sit between Starmer and and Matt Hancock to say, well... I completely agree with Matt Hancock. You do, you know, have to take on board the fact that he has said these sort of horrid things towards certain groups, certain issues. But then again, you're not employing him to do these things. I think maybe the only risk for me could be towards his um, climate change policies because, of course, when you're discussing trade... Uh, particularly the international trade which is going on here even though it's not regarding Brexit there is a lot of international trade which is sort of involved in his job climate change is going to be massively involved in that because you can't have some level of you know shipping some kind of goods or services overseas without there being some kind of you know minor environmental impact but I also don't think that going off what Starmer said that it's entirely appropriate to uh shut someone down for their views and say no we, we won't even sort of listen to you or take you on board especially when he has got you know such great levels of expertise yeah absolutely 
and we sort of need to think um, Tony Abbott is only one person and there's 16 unpaid members of the UK Board of Trade who advise Liz Truss and obviously as we've seen from his uh, track record he is very good at negotiating trade deals as Adam said that has would normally have nothing to do with women or abortion or anything like that and as the UK Board of Trade only meets once every few months anyway, it's not like any of his views would come into factor very recently. It would be different if he was perhaps Liz Truss's only advisor on trade, or if he was in some sort of position, like if he was on the Women and Equalities Committee, then obviously it would be a very different conversation we'd be having. But because he's not, he's on something that he's an expert on, then it sort of changes your opinion. So like Adam, I'm sort of in the middle between Matt Hancock accepting that he does have an issue, but he's also an expert on trade, and Starmer sort of saying, this isn't the right thing to say. Yeah, uh, I think it's exactly right. Uh, um, from a sort of very moral perspective, I do I do agree with, you know, Sakir Starmer, you know, when you listen to someone say things like that, of course, you do deserve an opinion, whatever, you know, whatever you come out with, no matter how deluded I may personally find that you do absolutely deserve to have your say whatever it may be on but um, maybe your opinion shouldn't be quite so maybe valuable in such a high position but then I think as well you need to look at even though the board of trade is valuable one member in 16 or one member in yeah, yeah, yeah 16 sorry yeah one member in 16 is his view that important? If it was someone like, um, you know, Dominic Cummings, who's the you know chief advisor to Boris Johnson, he is the one-man band behind Boris Johnson. Then you know maybe we'd, we'd be having a completely different discussion. But when you're a member of a board of sixteen, you're going to be in a sort of group of people who are all coming at a trade agreement with you know, 16 different opinions. No, I don't think that when you're in a board of 16 people, how powerful a view would be. I mean, particularly when you look at the ratios made up in that board, because there are, you know, of course, a fair few women. So I think the next thing that we need to talk about is, you know, has has his maybe career, um, position within his career maybe sheltered him from any, you know, any level of, Maybe the impacts of cancel culture by the time that he'd come out saying such sort of horrid things, he was already the leader of the opposition, you know, with the vast majority of the things that he'd come out saying. So, you know, you tend to find that people who've already found themselves in immense levels of power, they do tend to be a slight bit less affected by, you know, the cancel culture movement. And maybe people who are sort of on their steps up to, you know, set power are the ones who are most likely to be tripped and the ones who are coming out of their sort of greatest position of power are the ones who are also most likely to be tripped out by the uh, cancel culture movement. But I think by the time you are, you know, the leader of the Australian opposition party, you know, how, how effective can people on Twitter be? I think, you know, but when you're... Uh, junior member of the Australian Parliament then maybe if you were to get these you know sort of scathing reviews made of you on you know Twitter or on the newspapers on the you know whatever media outsource you know either globally or you know singularly to Australia but I, I do notice a trend I mean you know if you look 
more globally, you look at, you know, of course, Tony Abbott here. You know, I think he cancel culture was failed on him. I think when you look at Boris Johnson, uh, there was a few things that he wrote when he was a, you know, writing columns in various newspapers, various things that he said when he was mayor of London, you know, so on and so forth. I'd uh, say so the main culprit that a lot of people like to talk about on this has got to be Donald Trump. You know, I mean, how many... I, I can't even start to list you off the things <laughs> that he said which are questionable. But, you know, nonetheless, he was already in such a position within his career of immense money and power to the point where I think a lot of the time when you hear people who are against him, particularly within America, because he's got quite a strong support and a lot of the time these people have also got quite a maybe religious support and you could say you know to the point where they will be backed no matter what you know that there are always going to be a group of people when someone is so powerful who will absolutely back them to the hills so you know I think when people try and go for someone who is so powerful they're sort of palmed off to be a rabble of idiots almost rather than you know people with genuine concerns about comments against you know minority groups against certain issues such as climate change what do you think i think that it's definitely important to consider um whether using counterculture would be an effective way of sort of bringing down a politician or um making them apologize for their views anyway because obviously politicians use social media to broadcast their campaigns and things like that but it's not the only thing that they have power over it's not the only thing they have a platform on so for example you know donald trump has millions and millions and millions of twitter followers i'm one of them (laughs) (laughs) um even if a few people put in his comments saying that they disagree with things that he said on the whole it's really not going to affect much and i'm sure that there are lots of his supporters who don't use social media, so won't even see those comments attacking him anyway. And considering that Tony Abbott already had a platform before he was appointed to the Board of Trade, obviously he was Prime Minister of Australia, he was the most important politician on Australia for two years, so there's always going to be a spotlight on him, and there has been since he came into uh, the opposition as leader of the opposition. And so I don't think removing him would do anything, and especially I don't think using sort of council culture to remove him would do anything, because usually council culture comes, it tries to attack people who social media is their livelihood. It's the way they make money, it's the way they broadcast themselves, so, you know, influencers, social media, celebrities, things like that. But if it's a politician, their platform expands a lot further than just Twitter and Instagram and things like that. So I don't think if it was successful, it wouldn't be successful on the level that it would get him removed or anything changed. I think it's interesting that you bring up that point around, you know, different types of media and how they can affect people. Because, you know, I mean, let's look at a few different examples. Thank you for listening to the first part of the podcast. To hear the rest of our discussion, check out part two. Thank you.